0: Hey, it's so good to welcome you to Fields Church Online, and we are so pleased that you've tuned in for this message. No matter what's going on in your world right now, we pray that you come away feeling encouraged
1: by this message. The chance to bring it, it feels right today. So my Elijah, as many of you know, and many of you have found bits and pieces, is crazy about Lego, crazy about Lego. That's his favorite thing, the only thing really he wants to play with. Uh, Lego was the original and Lego is the best and you may not know this but if you go into any kind of different shops you go into toy shops, Tesco, any kind of different shops you can always find imitations. You can always find imitations and the imitations they say on the box compatible with. They say compatible with and they look just like Lego and they are boxed just like Lego and they are so appealing and they're much cheaper and you want to buy them because they are compatible and they're much cheaper and they look just the same but the thing is about Elijah is that he spends so long playing with Lego and he is so into it and so engaged with it and so focused on the detail that he won't play with the imitations people have given them given it given them him given him them for birthdays and christmases and he very graciously says thank you and he won't play with them and he can look and he can see in his massive pot of lego and he if you pick something out and say why don't you put this on your on your car he'll say it's not real it's not real lego and he won't do it because he knows that the imitation lego is not as good and it'll fit on it'll put it'll it'll go on but it'll come off eventually it doesn't click with that satisfying click it doesn't it doesn't look just the same and if you build something out of it he can pick it out he can pick out the imitations so let's be people who spend so long with our savior that we can instantly pick out those imitations and we can instantly find those things that we shouldn't be messing with that we shouldn't the 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 fluffy beautiful things that are packaged to be appealing to us that we um that we are programmed to 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 want to want let's be people who are programmed so clearly for Jesus that when things come along are not Jesus we can spot it and we can despise it because that's what Elijah does with the fake Lego no absolutely not so let's be people who spend time and the only way to do that is to spend time dwelling and getting to know and focusing on the detail and reading and spending time with Jesus and then you'll be able to spot the fakes
2: just all close our eyes and I want to take us back into the worship of the song Hosanna okay when I heard the words Hosanna Hosanna all I could think of was that Palm Sunday and Jesus making his final entry into Jerusalem to go to the cross and in my Bible it's headed his triumphant entry but here he was just riding a donkey but he was fulfilling prophecy in riding a donkey. It was all meant to be, the detail was there. He was obedient to what his father had told him to do his whole life. And he was continuing in obedience even though he was just a man. Can you imagine Oh, the feelings that he had knowing where he was going? Not long before, he said to his disciples, Who do you say I am? And Peter replied, You are the Messiah. Oh, finally their eyes were being opened to who Jesus was and is. Because up till then, only the demons knew who he was. And Jesus was teaching his disciples in those last days of what was to come, what he was gonna have to do, and they couldn't understand. They were confused. But you're the king of kings, you're the Messiah, and you're gonna go and die on that cross? Isn't that a picture of failure? And now here you are coming into Jerusalem and you're riding on a donkey? But do you know what? Imagine the scene, can you hear it? The crowds are all shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They knew who Jesus was. He was the King of the Jews. Oh, yeah, it looked completely different. But yes, he was the Messiah. And the disciples are there and they're hearing all the crowd and they're like, yes, yes, he is the Messiah. But we're so confused. Who do you say I am? Is his question today. Because further down that road... Still in triumphant entry to Jerusalem, he met the Pharisees who were all out to get him. That's what they had been trying to do, to trick him, to kill him. How many times had they tried to kill him? I mean, they led him to a cliff. Here he was, Jesus, looking down over the edge and his enemies around him like, yes, we've got him now. And Jesus just walked away because it was not his time. And it was not in the time of those Pharisees Jesus, in his triumphant entry to Jerusalem, going to the cross, was in control. He knew his time was coming soon, but he stayed step by step in obedience to what his father was saying. Because it all starts with a relationship with a father. That's where your strength comes. That's where Jesus was strengthened. And he was going right into the eye of the storm for you. Fully man, with all his emotions in that garden of Gethsemane, we heard it just now. We got another little glimpse of what it was like for him. But he was going for you. But he says, who do you say I am? Who are you in that picture right now? He wants you to know that I, says, I am your all in all. I am your refuge. I am your strength. I am your provider. I am your protector. I am your peace. I am your all in all. Come to me and find your rest. Search deep within your heart to find out who do you say I am in your life.
0: Holy Spirit, we thank you that you speak to us so, so lovingly. And that having this moment every Sunday allows us to, to share as one body, to encourage one another. I had a picture during the the worship time, and I think it's for somebody here, um, but it was a picture of somebody that feels that their whole heart and soul is consumed with something that you know is just not right. Um, and then the 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 picture showed me that this dragon just flew out of somebody's mouth and in that moment I I realised that actually it was a dragon or this uh, something inside them that was like burning what God claims as his. It was disrupting, it was making bad and it was making you feel like you're just so distant because of this thing. And as soon as this dragon came out, it wasn't anything that that person did, but it was the the prayers and the sound of declaring Jesus' name over you. So if that resonates with you, if you feel like you've got something inside of you that you want to get rid of and don't know how to, you feel it's consuming your entire identity, it's burning all of the good things inside of you, then I pray that certainly at the end of the service there'll be a prayer ministry team to, to come forward and we'd love to pray for you because that's a lie that's not how Jesus created us at all Jesus created us to be whole to be loved to be special to have a purpose not for something to consume it all up in rage that's not of God so we'd love to pray for you And one of the things this week that that came to me was, God is such an interesting character. Because in this moment, we think of God as the gentle whisper. The person that puts his arm around you. But actually in the Old Testament, God was also a pillar of fire. People followed and dwelled with a pillar of fire. Something that was glory, magnificent, powerful. So I thought perhaps rather than just saying, we're now gonna move into our next part of the service, I'd like us to sing again. And um, the band are gonna lead us through part of the second song that we sang. Because I think it's a real declaration. After this time of hearing these encouragements and prayers, I think it's good. If we're able to stand again and to sing again before um, we invite Josh up. So if you're able to and would like to, I invite you to stand as we um, sing. Let's pray, shall we? Um, I'm going to pray for Josh before he speaks to us, um, and then we'll hand over. Father, we thank you so much for your obedient servant, Josh, for his hard work and his discernment in what you um, would like him to say today. And we pray for his voice. We pray that you give his voice strength, Lord. And yeah, we pray that um, the words that Josh speaks today is going to be like a double-edged sword to us. Uh, So Father, we thank you and we're excited for what we're about to hear. Amen.
3: Thank you, Josh. Good morning, everyone.
0: This time
3: last year, we were in the middle of this Christian period of Lent And last year, (laughs) Lent just so happened to coincide with the Muslim time of Ramadan. And I'm a a high school chaplain, and I was speaking to one of our Muslim students, and um, I was asking him, how's it going? And he said, sir, it's really hard. I said, well, tell me about it. And he was explaining how the hours where the sun is up, he is not allowed to eat, he's not allowed to drink, until the sun sets again. And he would have to do this for the entire period of Ramadan. I said, wow, that sounds really tough. I really don't think I'd be able to do that. And he said, but, sir, I thought you did. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Muslims fast during Ramadan and Christians fast during Lent, right? I said, uh, (laughs) some do. Not not me, though. He said, well, what did you do, sir? I said, well, I gave up coffee. He said, sir, that's really not that impressive. But he said, how's it going? I said, do you know what? I did really, really well for three days. Um, And then I failed. And every time I saw him around school for the next couple of weeks, I'd I'd go up to him and say, You still fasting? And he'd say, Yep. Are you still failing? I'd say, Yep. (laughs) So I'm still failing. I'm not particularly great at prayer and fasting, but um, I'm, I'm trying. I'm really, really trying. And I had a few thoughts and some ideas. I've called this talk Prayer is love, because in my journey, I've, I've tried to reframe prayer not as a chore, um, not as a task, not as an an outcome, but as love, as an expression of my love to God and people around me. One of the things that really does encourage me, though, is how much people pray. Not just people of other religions, not just Christians, but people who even call themselves atheists and agnostics many of them still admit to praying. And at my school, we have a Freshers' Fair every year. We have these big questions, and one of the questions that I asked was, have you said a prayer at some point in the past month? And every time students came past, I gave them stickers, and they would just vote yes or no. And um, this was the result, which I found particularly encouraging that over a third of the teenagers at our school, which is not a church school, it's not a faith school, said, yeah, I've said a prayer at some point in the past month, which I thought was fascinating. And it's so fascinating that I really wanted to do a bit more research into it. And those of you that that know me will know that one of my passions in life, as well as the Kardashians, is researching stuff. So I began on this journey of trying to research this of how are young people engaging with prayer and spirituality and faith? And not just those who call themselves Christians, but those who would say they were an atheist too. But the trouble with researching stuff like this is how do you measure it? Like is there, is there a scale, is there a measure, is there like a survey that you do? And I began this search of has anyone put together some kind of measure about young people's engagement with faith and spirituality? And I found someone that did. He was a former school chaplain. He lives in Australia and um, he has three PhDs, which I thought was a bit excessive. (laughs) But he's created this measure, which he's called the Spiritual Health and Life Orientation Measure. I said to him, that's a bit of a mouthful. He said, Josh, it abbreviates to Shalom. Instantly sold. Anything that abbreviates to Shalom. Excellent. And what this does is it measures 20 different aspects of life and faith and spirituality, and it goes through this crazy analysis process on a spreadsheet, and it kind of scores where young people are at on their faith journey. And so I began some of this research with small groups and with individuals to try and explore how prayer fitted with young people's faith. And as I started to analyze all of these results, the one trend that came out um, when all of these different factors were taken into account, is that the lowest scoring aspect of young people's faith and spirituality was always prayer life. All of those other measures scored in a variety of different ways, but the lowest scoring one was always prayer life. Which is interesting, because a lot of them said that they prayed, but at the same time, a lot of them thought they weren't very good at it. They weren't saying the right things. They weren't doing it often enough. They weren't doing it in the right way or praying for the right things. There was this general sense of negativity that they didn't think they were doing it right and that they needed to improve. And I wonder if some of us are in that same boat. Maybe we do pray. Maybe we pray regularly. But perhaps there's this sense of, oh, I'm really not great at it. I wonder if anyone else is in that boat. I know I certainly am. Let's have a look at this verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 to 18 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 to 18 it says rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you In Christ Jesus. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? This simple instruction: rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And so here's the challenge and the question this morning: How do we pray continually? How do we rejoice and give thanks to God when a good chunk of us probably pray already, but many of us, young people included, don't view our prayer life as being particularly great? particularly effective because I imagine when you first became a Christian prayer came quite easily it was this really new exciting thing of wow I can talk to God about anything anywhere at any time that's amazing in the early days of our faith prayer does come really really easily and at the other end of the spectrum without meaning to sound too bleak about it prayer comes really easily in our final days as well it is very common for people on a deathbed, for people who are given an awful prognosis, for people who find themselves in a serious life-threatening accident or situation, to cry out to God in prayer, even if they've never done that before. Prayer at the very beginning comes quite easy, and prayer at the very end comes quite easy. The trouble is, is that most of us don't live in that early time or in those last few days. Most of us are in this big, messy chunk of life in the middle where sometimes prayer is quite hard, where sometimes prayer doesn't seem like it works, and where it sometimes seems like prayer isn't particularly effective. One of the quotes that I've been thinking about for the past few months on prayer is from the priest and theologian Ronald Rollheiser, and he says this, the single greatest obstacle to sustaining a life of prayer is simple boredom and the sense that nothing meaningful is happening. But that does not mean that we are regressing in prayer. It often means the opposite. And that quote stuck with me for a while because I thought, how can that be true how can that be true if we're struggling with prayer, if we don't feel like we're seeing something from it, how can it be true that we're not regressing, but we're actually developing in prayer? And the one quote that then made everything click for me, and is why I've named this talk Prayer is Love, is this quote from St. Augustine, saying true whole prayer is nothing but love. So what if we were to think about prayer not as a chore, not as a ritual, not as a a means of getting things that we want, but simply as love for God and for people? Because I think there's a number of similarities between prayer and love. We spoke about prayer coming really easily in those early days. And in those early days, love comes quite easily too, doesn't it? And one of my favorite films is um, Titanic, and the main story of the film Titanic, if you haven't seen it, is this love story between Jack, a third-class passenger, and Rose, a first-class passenger. They're young, and their love is fresh and exciting, and the whole film is their love story. It seems like love comes really, really easily. It's this fun, new adventure for them. But the film also includes another, another love story between a much older couple, a very old couple, Isidore and Ida Strauss. They were a real couple who were on Titanic. Isidore was a former member of the US House of Representatives and he was a co-owner of the department store Macy's. They were the wealthiest couple on Titanic. And Isidore took Ida to one of the lifeboats as the ship was sinking. The lifeboat was only taking women and children. And he said, you need to get on. And she refused. She said no. She said, we've spent our whole lives together. If we go, we go together. Eyewitness reports show that this couple were last seen on the deck, holding each other in a tight embrace. People called it the most remarkable display of love. And perhaps a more relatable example, I don't know if you've ever been in a coffee shop and you've seen what I would call a really cute old couple where, they are sat there for a long period of time, a couple of cappuccinos, one's reading the paper, one's doing a crossword. Sometimes they don't even talk to each other, do they? But you can just tell that they're in love. There's just this ease. It just seems like love comes so easily to them. I'm not the only one, am I? That's really creepy, that just... <laughs> and I think I'd love for that to be us one day, that when we're old, we just sit, and you don't even need to say anything. You can just tell that love comes so easily. But, for Isidore and Ida, and for that cute old couple in Costa, that ease of love at old age is only possible because of all of those years of love in between. Those years where love has to be cultivated. Those long years where love has to be worked out and love has to be fought for. And similarly, prayer is easy and great when we're first a christian and prayer is common on our deathbed but when we are in that big chunk of messy life in between we need to cultivate prayer we need to fight for prayer and we need to choose prayer even when it doesn't seem like it's working even when it doesn't seem like it's fun does that make sense prayer is love let's have a look at how jesus did this because if Jesus had to choose well and cultivate prayer intentionally in his own life, then we're going to go to Luke chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 12 and go through to verse 16. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12. This is the story of Jesus healing a man With leprosy. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. And offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testament to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. How did Jesus cultivate prayer in his own life? Well, there are kind of two sides to the coin of Jesus' prayer life. On one side of it, Jesus prays very spontaneously. He has these people coming up to him, interrupting him, seemingly without much notice. Wherever he is speaking and traveling and teaching, these people just come and interrupt. And he prays for them spontaneously, publicly in front of crowds of people. But on the other side of the coin, Jesus also had this private discipline where it says he Often withdrew to lonely places on his own and prayed. Jesus' prayer life was spontaneous and planned, it was public and private. And I wonder how many books have been written, how many talks have been said of, oh, we should pray really spontaneously, we should really pray in the spirit in the moment. And how many people say, oh, no, we shouldn't do that. No, we should pray regularly. We should pray at regular times of the day. And I wonder if the answer is, yeah. Yeah. Not either or, but both. And I wonder how many people have said, oh, we need to come to church and we need to pray together with groups of other Christians to really inspire us in our faith. And some people go, oh, no, 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 no. You can't be seen to do that with other people. You need to do it privately, privately where no one but God can see. And I wonder whether the answer is yes. Not either, or, but both, and. Our prayer should be, based on the life of Jesus, spontaneous and planned, public and private, with other people and on our own. And we're thinking about prayer as love, and we know that that is true in love, right? With the people that you love, you do spontaneous things. You might send them a nice message out of the blue. You might buy them presents unexpectedly. You might ask a friend out for coffee or dinner but you also do things regularly. You will send them a card on their birthday every year. You'll wish them a happy Christmas, a happy new year. You do things regularly, and you do things spontaneously. And that's not because of a rule or a ritual. That's just the rhythm and the pattern of love. You do things spontaneously, and you do things rhythmically, and you plan them. There are some things that are public, and there are some things that are private. And if that's true for Jesus and that's true for love, then that is certainly true for prayer as well. And this is not a brand new idea. This is not an innovative approach to prayer. This is just modeling the story of God's people in the Bible. Many of you, if you went to Sunday school, you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Can you remember that story? It's one of those really graphic stories that's great to tell kids because they'll remember it for a very long time. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, the whole reason why Daniel was put in that lion's den in the first place is because he refused to give up his daily rhythm of prayer. The king passed a law, passed a decree that made that illegal, but Daniel 6, verse 10 says, When Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Daniel's prayer rhythm was so important to him that despite being illegal, he carried on. And again, that's not out of obligation. That's not because of a... David does the display of love for God. David does the same in the Psalms. If you're taking notes, Psalm 55, verses 16 to 18 David writes, as for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Evening, morning, and noon. And some people might think, well, that's just, a, that's just an Old Testament thing. That's just what people did. But we see this in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 1, Peter heals the lame beggar and this is the first miraculous healing since the day of the resurrection and when does this happen well it happens while peter is on his way to the temple for prayer in acts chapter 10 peter has a vision cornelius has this amazing spiritual encounter while they're observing their afternoon prayers so many of the amazing people we read about in the bible they have lives anchored by a rhythm of daily prayer, whilst also incorporating spontaneous prayer when it needs to happen. Their lives are anchored by daily prayer, and I wonder what anchors your school run food will anchor it. Maybe it's work, maybe it's the school run, maybe it's food. What anchors our weekends is the kids' nap time And we plan our weekends accordingly. We talk about when we're saying to the kids, oh, we're going to go to Granny's. They say, are we going before nap or after nap? That's how we measure our weekend days. We go to church before nap, and we go to Granny's after nap. That's what anchors the rhythm of our weekends. But why can't that anchor be prayer? I wonder if you could picture yourself now in the middle of your standard weekday. Maybe you're eating lunch, maybe you're on a Zoom, maybe you're with your kids. What would it look like for you in the middle of your weekday to spend a couple of minutes in prayer? What would it look like in your morning? Is that something you do as soon as you wake up? Is that something you do when you're brushing your teeth? Is that something you do over breakfast or on your commute into work? Is that something you do when you sit down with that first coffee of the day? What would it look like in your evenings? Is it on your commute home from work? Is it round the dinner table with family and friends? Is it just before you go to bed? I wonder what that rhythm might look like for you. We have never been more blessed in 2024 with so many tools and resources of how to live this kind of prayer life that Jesus has where it's spontaneous and planned and there's a few that I wanted to mention um, to you this morning the first is an app called Lectio 365 Um, Nina uses this all the time and is super inspiring it's fantastic really is free to download and it has morning and evening prayers that you can just listen to with scripture every day There's the inner room app, which is by 24-7 prayer. You type in the kind of topics you like praying about. You set timers, the the times where you want to pray, and it pops up on your phone. It pops up on my phone every lunchtime. It says, have you got five minutes to pray? And When I first started using it, I thought, oh, okay. (laughs) And now it pops up, and I think, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I've got five minutes before I go for lunch to pray. But you don't need a fancy app. You could just set a timer, an alarm on your phone, morning, noon, and evening. Or you could ask Alexa if you've got one of those. Use it for something useful for once. (laughs) You can say, Alexa, ask the Church of England to say grace, and it will say grace. And we sometimes do that when we're sat around the dinner table. It gets out of that awkward question of who's going to say grace, because you know Alexa will do it for you you can say, Alexa, ask the Church of England to say the prayer for the day and it will read you a unique prayer for that day and all you have to say is amen. There are so many different tools and resources. One of the patterns that's suggested by 24-7 prayer is this one. They say, in the morning, could we say the Lord's Prayer? At midday, could we pray for the lost? And in the evening, could we end our day with thanking God and gratitude? Again, this doesn't have to be complicated. It's just this simple rhythm, this simple rhythm that continues these thousands of years of people who have always had a rhythm of prayer. And that prayer in the middle of the day, they suggest is for the lost. I mean, that's part of our witness, isn't it? One of our values as a church is witness. And it's such a simple thing to drop into a conversation. Ben shared a fantastic example of this earlier before the service of when people confide in you those really difficult things they're going through to just say, I'll be praying for you. Or send them a message, I've been praying for you. That simple little phrase. And even if people are not a Christian, I do believe they appreciate it, they respect it. Because as we heard at the start, even. Even people without a faith say that they pray. It's something people appreciate. I wonder who this week you could drop that little phrase into conversation with. Who this week could you say, I know you've had a tough time. I'll be praying for you. I think it really makes a difference. It's powerful. I'm going to end with this quote by the priest and theologian Ronald Rollheiser that I shared earlier. The single greatest obstacle to sustaining a life of prayer is simple boredom and the sense that nothing meaningful is happening. But that does not mean we're regressing in prayer. It often means the opposite. And my hope and my prayer for all of us as we continue this time of prayer and fasting, is that whatever your prayers look like, whether they are those loud, desperate prayers where you are in despair, in tears, with a loved one going through a tough time, or whether they are the private, quiet whispers of a prayer before you go to sleep at night time. My prayer is that regardless of how it feels and regardless of what we see, that we would all keep on choosing prayer, that we would keep on fighting to pray, that we would keep on cultivating prayer in the middle of this big, busy, chaotic chunk of life that so many of us find ourselves in. And God, I pray that you would help us with that. I pray that you would help us to pray spontaneously and to pray with discipline and a rhythm as well. God, would you help us find those few moments, those few moments to reconnect with you, praying for those we love, praying for those who might be lost. May your spirit prompt us mid-conversation with people going through difficult times for us to just say, I'm praying for you. May there be that incredible connection. God, we ask for your help. We know we can't do this on our own or in our own strength and nor do we want to. God help us be with us this week. As we remember that prayer is love. Amen.
4: Thank you Josh. Thank you Josh. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. It's a great message Josh, really appreciate that. Just do it every time. During that song about Hosanna, I also had that picture while we were worshiping of Jesus riding on a donkey, going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And everyone was greeting him on either side of the road, Hosanna, laying down palm leaves. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna. But I can imagine Jesus riding into that place thinking, Next week, I'm going to be hanging on a cross, crucified by the people that he came to save. What a picture! But what a savior! There were three at the cross, all those thousands joining him, following him, seeing the miracles. Feeding 4,000 and 5,000, raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the leper. And at the end of his life, he's on a cross, a cruel cross, three people there, weeping, crying. I think prayer is amazing. The one, the one who created the heavens and the earth. And all things. Loves us to talk to him. That's what prayer is. Just talking to him. Even when you're having a bad day. You don't have to choose the words. Say, Lord, I'm a bit ticked off today. I'm fed up. God's going to listen. Why? Because he's a, a loving heavenly father. God demonstrated that love by sending Jesus. For you and me. pay the penalty and the price for sin so that we didn't have to pay that price He said father i'm going to go sin is a problem i'm going to go father i'm going to lay down my life for those people the bible says while we were yet sinners christ died for us what a savior and we can pray to that very same god that jesus prayed to whenever he was in need most people when you're going through a problem that in my experience and i've said can i pray for you even if they're non-christians they said yeah, that would be great please thank you prayer is just so powerful john three sixteen for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life going to church doesn't make us a christian praying a prayer of faith asking god to come into your life, believing that he died for you, that he rose again. That makes us a Christian. That saves us. A simple prayer like that saves us. It's amazing. Going to church is great, but have you prayed that prayer? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you're here. I believe in divine appointments. You're not here by accident, friend. I believe God's drawing you here. And I want to say to you, friend, he loves you and he died for you so that you could live free from sin. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're here today, you're not here by accident, friend. I believe God is knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, son, daughter, I want to come in. But he's not going to force his way in. The handle to that door is on the inside of our hearts. We've just got to open our, the door up and say, come on in, Lord, and save me. Is that you today? If that's you, just slip up your hand. Say, that's me. I need Jesus today. I want to make Jesus the Lord in my life today. Anybody? Maybe you've been a churchgoer and you've not been lately and you're here today. Maybe you've given up on God. Maybe the church has hurt you. Maybe you feel disappointed in the church, but you're here today, and maybe you're thinking, is there there a chance for me to come back to God? Is that you today? You know, God is gonna wait with his arms open wide and say, come on in, son, daughter, I want you back. Is that you? If that's you or no one's looking around, just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm here today and I wanna recommit my life to Jesus. Just put your hand up and God will see it. Let's believe we're all right with God this morning, then, if no hands have gone up. If you were too shy to put your hand up for any reason, and you'd like to speak to me or one of the prayer team, there'll be a prayer team up here afterwards with the lanyards on. And they'll pray for you about any anything in your life, any situation you're going through right now. I'm gonna close the service, we're gonna have some fellowship, About great if you could stay for tea and coffee, express our faith. Father God, we thank you for this day where we could come in a country where we can freely express our faith, our love for Jesus, where we could come and worship our King, where we could come and hear a message, we could pray, pray together, encourage one another and have some fellowship and then go. I thank you that this will set us up for the week as we go. Church isn't just about Sunday, it's about every day of our life as we go into our world, that we meet people that maybe are hurting and broken that need Jesus or just need the love of Jesus. Thank you, Father God, as we go right now that your angels encamp around about us. Keep us safe and free from harm until we can meet again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Great to see you guys. Uh, Please stay for tea and coffee. The um, shutters are going to go up in a second, so it'd be great to chat to you before you go.